Hey there, it's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked On Tar Heels podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Tar Heels your first listen every single day. Today, we're talking about Sam Howell's Senior Bowl performance last week down in Mobile, Mobile Alabama. We're looking at Carolina, where they're standing in terms of postseason play for basketball. And to look at how they're doing, we got to start by talking about their performance on Tuesday night, a 79-77 victory over Clemson right there in Clemson, South Carolina, inside Little John Coliseum. Well, for the second Tuesday in a row, the Tar Heels went on the road and won a tough slog of an ACC battle in a hostile environment while, quite frankly, dealing with questionable officiating all over the place. They had it last week at Louisville, and they had it last night at Clemson. But you know what? Such is early February in the ACC. The victory does give Carolina now. They've got two straight road wins, uh, that, that game at Louisville last week and then last night at Clemson. So they moved their ACC road record back up to 4-3. and three. They won the first two road games of the ACC schedule and have won the most recent two dropping games in the middle to Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Miami. And uh, the the just beatdown of Clemson continues historically. You're probably aware that the Tar Heels have owned the Tigers throughout their series. Uh, they've played 144 times, with Carolina now winning 122 of those. Uh, for keeping quick math at home, that's a winning percentage of 84.7. Yikes. Coming into this game, though, Clemson had actually won three out of the last four meetings which, truthfully, that was coming on the heels of Carolina winning 20 out of 21, but still, three out of the last four, including, unfortunately, as we know, ending the long winning streak at home in Chapel Hill. And so, uh, because of Clemson's recent success against Carolina, to pick up a win here and and reverse that recent history is definitely a step in the right direction. Got to keep it going. Well, the most important stretch of the game was honestly the final 10 minutes, the last half of the first half, so essentially the second quarter of the game. P.J. Hall from Clemson had hit a three-pointer at 9.54 remaining to give Clemson a 19-8 lead. Uh, Truth be told, it was the only double-digit lead of the entire game. The rest of it was played all within single-digit margins. But from there, Carolina reeled off a 22-6 run to end the half, up by five, and, and put themselves in great position to win with a strong second half. Well, as you know, if you kept tabs on the game last night, Clemson eventually closed the gap, and it was a very tight second half, back and forth, most of the way the team's essentially playing tug-of-war with the lead. But uh, what is so important about that stretch at the end of the first half is UNC's resilience to, to fight back, uh, to, which they have not done all, at all times this season. Against Duke, they did on Saturday night, but obviously that was too little, too late, and then, and then the second half was just a wash there. But Carolina's resilience was precisely what positioned them to be able to snatch away another ACC road victory. And so while it wasn't pretty, it wasn't uh, exactly a a Hall of Fame game, it is 
a ACC road win, and that's what we're trying to do, right? You just want to keep picking up victories, and so Carolina is now 9-4 and four in the conference. If the game seemed to lag on, well, quite frankly, that's because it did. Clocking in at 2 hours and 18 minutes, that's the longest regulation of the season thus far. The first half went by quickly enough. Each team picked up six fouls, a total of 12 fouls. However, I don't know if the officials got together in the locker room at halftime and were like, hey, let's mess with these teams and just officiate this game completely differently coming out of halftime because that's exactly what they did. In the first half, there were those 12 fouls. Over the course of the final 20 minutes, there were 22 different fouls, including two flagrant ones and a technical, all three of those which, by the way, were called on Carolina. Uh, one of the flagrant ones was on Armando Baycott, the second one. I could, I could see that one, but the first flagrant one, a call on Brady Manick, I get the letter of that law, of that rule, but it, it he was going for ball. That was a little bit iffy. And then the technical foul was called on R.J. Davis after he made uh, a, a basket and said something. It looked like he just celebrated. The referee got all in a tizzy and, and called a technical really quick. Still haven't heard uh, exactly what went on there, but hopefully... Um, there will be some review by the ACC. It was just, it was just poor. Um, and so, yeah, how do I put this kindly? The officials inserted themselves into the second half of this game. There were just several unnecessarily fou- unnecessary fouls called both ways. Frankly, there were there were fouls that Carolina re- were the recipients of that that shouldn't have been called. The final 20 minutes took on a similar tenor to the second half of the national championship game in 2017 against Gonzaga. No rhythm, no flow. Curiously enough, though, in a half where the refs were calling everything in sight, they decided to swallow their collective whistles on what looked like an obvious push-off by Clemson's P.J. Hall just before scoring Clemson's final basket of the game, the basket that tied it up at 77 in the final minute. And that doesn't even bring up the fact that that push-off, if it had been called, would have been Hall's fifth foul and he wouldn't have been able to participate, especially if this game had ended up going to overtime. But you know what? It's not my business how a ref chooses to adjudicate a game. Uh, but come on, is it is it too much to ask for just a little bit of consistency in how we're doing that? Uh, I guess not. But thankfully for the referees, in this scenario, the no call turned out to be not a big deal. And frankly, thankfully, you know what? Thank you, refs, because you set up an opportunity for a game-winning basket for Carolina. Um Caleb Love had hit a three to put Carolina ahead just before. And out of a timeout, there's about 16 seconds left. Carolina ran the clock all the way down. Love drove to the basket. And and typically, Caleb Love right here is going to try to put up a tough shot in traffic. And I thought in, in real time, that's what was happening. But he ended up um, drawing defenders to him, wrapping a pass around to his left to Brady Manick for the go-ahead layup. There's still 3.1 ticks on the clock at that point and as Carolina fans know all too well uh, anything can still happen there although Chris Jenkins had 4.7 seconds on Villanova's clock before getting their shot off but we know that's plenty of time and in fact Clemson got a great look they ran a play had a wing three that just hit the rim and fell short and Carolina won 
Uh, just a couple quick hitter tidbits. It was great to see Armando Baycott get back to a double-double, 24 and 10. That's 18 on the season for him. Um, Caleb Love's shooting slump, it carries on. He was 4 of 12 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3, committed 5 turnovers. But he did have those game-winning plays at the end, and so it's nice to see him have a little bit of redemption. And please forgive me, I've gone on way too long without mentioning R.J. Davis and his stellar play. Davis shot an efficient 6-for-11 from the field, 3-of-4 from 3, scoring 16 points, grabbed 3 rebounds, and most importantly, check this out, had 6 assists and 0, count them, 0 turnovers. What a phenomenal floor game from him. Uh, So I have to ask, is it time to start considering that Davis could develop into something of a lead guard who has a knack for both scoring and assisting? If so, Carolina could be in for a real treat down the stretch of this season, and and maybe I don't want to broadcast too far ahead, but what would a junior R.J. Davis look like? Uh, And so, you know, the best part of the game was there was a woman behind the commentators that you could hear cheering on Carolina. It's great. There's this whole sea of Clemson, and you can hear uh, a woman's voice cheering for Carolina in all blue. And uh, wouldn't you know it, if, if you recognize this woman, it was Leaky Black's mom. Awesome. I love it. How about that? Well, uh, beating Clemson should certainly help Carolina's NCAA tournament hopes, and we are going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yep, that's right, 100% real chocolate. Give me all of that. They're low in calories, high in protein. You can replace your candy bars with them. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from 200 to 300 calories, but most Built Bars are in the range of 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go go to Built.com and, and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. In addition to being high in protein and the low calories we already talked about, they're high in fiber and low in carbs. So go take care of getting some bars for yourself from Built.com. Do that today. I want to remind you that it's Super Week brought to you by Get Upside, and there is no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On Bengals and Locked On Rams are out in L.A. all week covering the big game, so make sure you tune in to that. Okay, so we are now into February. It's that month where everything is all about bracketology. You're, you can't turn away from it if you're paying any bit of attention to sports. Who's in, who's out, last four in, last four out, last four buys, all this confusing language from uh, Joey Brackets and Jerry Palm and all these people, and you're just, is my team going to make it or is my team not going to make it? Ultimately, ultimately, that's what we want to know. Teams are always sliding in and sliding out. If this team wins this game, they're in. If this team loses this game, they're out, but they're back in. If they, All of this craziness. And so we just want to know, are the Carolina Tar Heels, is the University of North Carolina going to be in the NCAA tournament this year, or are they bound for the NIT? Well, tonight's win, or excuse me, Tuesday night's win was super important because it allows Carolina to keep pace in the ACC standings first off and continue to look towards playing for one of those top four ACC seeds, which gets you a double bye in the ACC tournament. 
And so as things stand following Tuesday's action, Duke and Notre Dame are tied atop the conference standings at 9-3, and three, although Duke would be the top seed right now because they beat Notre Dame head-to-head. Similarly, Wake Forest and, and Carolina are tied at 9-4, and four, but Wake holds that tiebreaker because of the head-to-head victory. Miami is sitting at fifth, just a half game back at eight and four. And then Virginia is now at six in six with a nine and five record. So it's looking right now like the the conference regular season champion is going to come from those six teams. And it'll probably be four of those six teams getting those top four double buys in the ACC tournament. So great work by Carolina last night to take care of what they needed to take care of, to just keep pace. I mean, it's as crazy as it is to think about, they're only a half game out of first place right now. That's great. So the Tar Heels sit at 42nd in the net rankings, although that will refresh at some point on Wednesday morning here. And after Tuesday night's action, they're 44th in Ken Palm. Well, Tuesday night's win was also important because it has the potential to eventually turn into Carolina's first quad one victory of the season. Carolina is currently 0-7 in quad one and literally has won every game they've played in quads two through four. That's incredible. But um, Clemson is sitting just outside of the threshold of what qualifies as a quad one game. A road game, if a team is ranked first through 75th in the net, then that's quad one. On In Tuesday's rankings, Clemson was 78th, and so Carolina needed them to move up a little bit for that game to count as a quad one. Unfortunately, in order for them to move up, Carolina needs to lose to Clemson, which they can't do. So Carolina beat Clemson. That means Clemson's going to move down in Wednesday's rankings. But now, Tar Heel fans, you need to become huge Clemson fans because then that means that Clemson moves back up and hopefully that win can turn into a quad one victory. So uh, as we continue to think about, are they going to make the NCAA tournament or not? That's part of why this win is such a big deal, because if it turns into a quad one win, that's going to be taken into account. Why does that matter? Great question. So glad you asked it. This is year four of the NCAA's net rankings data that they, they use as their team sheets and all these deliberations. Well, in the first three years, no team without a quad one victory has made the NCAA tournament. Yes, you're hearing that right. No team that has zero quad one wins has made the NCAA tournament in these first three years. What does that mean for Carolina? They have to get a quad one win safely. Let's get let's get two uh, to put themselves firmly, hopefully, back into the bracket where they were. So what has to happen for that to come into effect? Well, right now, assuming everything stays that it is, let's say this Clemson game doesn't turn back into a quad one win. Let's uh, assume Michigan never jumps up or anything like that. Then Carolina only has, as it stands right now, two more quad one opportunities. That's the game at Virginia Tech and the game at Duke to close out the regular season. Right now, those are the only two quad one opportunities left on Carolina's schedule. So what does that mean? Well, Carolina has to get at least one of them. Would be awesome to get both and in the process ruin Coach K's final regular season game inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. That would be a thing. But Carolina really needs to get 
two of these quad one victories to feel really secure and safe about making the NCAA tournament and obviously keep winning all these other quad two through quad four opportunities. Now, we don't know what's ahead in the ACC tournament. Games played in those tournaments right now count towards those quad victories. So maybe Carolina could get a quad one victory there. Of course, that's on a neutral court site. And so the um, the threshold of what qualifies for a quad one victory changes in a neutral environment. So Carolina has to take care of business, has to cheer real hard for Clemson. That's what's happening. But if Carolina is to lose to Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech and lose at Duke, that means they would enter the ACC tournament 0-9 in quad one. And that is not a place that a team wants to be heading into Selection Sunday. So Carolina, I would say, still controls their own destiny in terms of making it into the tournament, but they have work yet to do. In terms of some of the bracketology, here's just a little jump around some of it. Sports Illustrated's Kevin Sweeney has Carolina as one of the last four buys, meaning they're not in a play-in game, they're in the actual field of 64 already, but he has them as an 11 seed. Joe Lunardi, heading into Tuesday night's game, he hasn't refreshed since the win over Clemson, had Carolina as last four in, but that that means they would be in the play-in games in Dayton. Jerry Palm from CBS has Carolina not in the tournament and not even in the last four out, so he's got them way outside there. And then uh, Blogging the Bracket, which is a a blog that just uh, tracks bracket math and bracketology things all year long. They actually, I believe, do a great job with things. Um, Has Carolina in the first four out, meaning not even in the play-in games. They would be between 69 and 72. So what does all that mean? Carolina's got work to do. They got to keep it going. They're not safely in the tournament right now. And so got to take care of business down the stretch. Another thing we're not sure of right now is Sam Howe's draft status. That thing is all over the place. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as we march right up to the big game this coming Sunday. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL action, boxing, and UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of the all-new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. Well, Sam Howell participated in the Senior Bowl last week down in Mobile, Alabama, trying to work at improving his draft stock. Uh, we, we all know this story as Carolina people. Sam Howell had this uh, great freshman year, obviously not perfect, but man, just burst onto the scene, was the talk of the town, and then had a, an insanely dynamic core of skill position players around him, his sophomore campaign. And so, man, we all know what explosive offense Carolina had in the 2020 season. And so things coming into the 2021 season were flying high. There were first round, top of the first round, frankly, draft expectations for Sam Howe and all sorts of very legitimate Heisman buzz, as everyone expected, just the train to keep on rolling. But the loss of all of those skill guys, get, losing Javante Williams and Michael Carter, Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, 
when all of that goes away, inevitably there's going to be regression. And I don't think many people either equal either locally that covered Carolina or nationally, just looking at college football, realized what a big impact that would have on on Sam Howell himself and on Carolina's ability to succeed at the highest level uh, on the field last year. Um, now, one of the, one of the helpful things is that even though things came hurtling back to earth, Sam Howell displayed kind of a new skill set with all these designed runs and proved himself to be a great runner. And just you, you so rarely see someone who has made such a living on being more of a pocket passer, uh, just a traditional stand in the pocket and throw quarterback with a very dynamic arm, turn into someone that can do what Sam Howell did on the ground this year. And so because of all of this, this all, the new incoming skill set, position players around him, uh, while the Tar Heels record was lower than expected, so too fell Sam Howell's draft stock. And so as I've been looking at, at big boards and, and uh, mock drafts and other things, here are some of the other quarterbacks that are in conversation along with Sam Howell. If you haven't been keeping tabs on it yet, here's what we're seeing in terms of potentially highly drafted quarterbacks. Pitts, Kenny Pickett, who we've seen in the ACC and s- seen all the gaudy numbers he put up this year. Ole Miss's Matt Corral, we saw what he did down in the SEC. You might not have heard of this guy, but Liberty's Malik Willis, um, is a dynamic guy coming up that people are learning about now, finally. Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter, a crazy athletic quarterback, and Nevada's Carson Strong. All five of those guys, along with Sam Howe, are all getting... I've seen each of them in and out of the first round in all these various mock drafts and big boards. And so any any number of them you might see ahead or behind Sam Howe, with what they're doing just based on where you look. Um, but the the crazy thing is, is that heading into this season, we would have thought that Sam Howe would have been right at the top of all of that, but now he's starting to slide back. And between these six, who are expected to be the first six quarterbacks taken most places, none of them are what we typically think of as like these next-level franchise-altering quarterbacks that you got to have at the very top of the draft. And so, so that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. So all that in mind, what was Sam Howell able to do at the Senior Bowl last week? Well, a, a lot of the critique that we're hearing about Sam Howell continues to center on his footwork. As an example of that, here's what Todd McShay had to say following the events of the Senior Bowl. This, is, this comes directly from ESPN. One of the two things that tend to happen with Sam Howell, and we saw a little of both this week, first he can get lax with his feet on throws, not setting them and not driving off of his back foot, though he doesn't necessarily need to with his arm strength. Yes, true. Well said, Todd McShay. Second, he gets frenzied feet when he is going through progressions where they aren't married to his eyes. After running an offense at UNC that featured a lot of RPOs, run-pass options, and deep rail shots, he will see more intermediate anticipatory throws than he's used to in the NFL, and that means he needs to work on his footwork. And that's a direct quote from Todd McShay. So we see some of that dual nature of what people are saying. So interestingly, while that sounds negative, Todd McShay is having this conversation with Jeremy Fowler, and he comes back around right after that to say that Howell was probably the most steady quarterback in Mobile. 
He didn't have a ton of quote-unquote wow moments, but he was more consistent than the other five, that group of five um, guys. It was a good week for him, and the arm strength showed. I had him over Ritter, Spencer Ritter from Cincinnati, that is, coming into the week, and I came away feeling even better about that. So while McShay had all those uh, critical things to say about Sam Howell's footwork, he's, he's feeling good about what he saw from Sam Howell. But in that same conversation with Todd McShay, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler expressed about how what I've been hearing more than anything. He says this, quote, I got mixed feedback on how. Some scouts liked that he aggressively attacked downfield, completing a few darts that got their attention. Others thought he struggled. One AFC exec said he's a borderline backup level talent, but he could start if in the right situation. He's got ability, but I'm unsure if he can do it on his own. Needs the right pieces to be successful, the exec said. So here's what I'm learning about Howell and the Senior Bowl continued to cement this thought. The consensus about Sam Howell is that there's no consensus. (laughs) Nobody can agree on Sam Howell. That is what the deal is. Scouts are enticed by his arm and the added dimension now of his feet that we saw this season, but are worried about his timing and forcing throws and, oh, that footwork. You know, oh, goodness, we're all so scared. So looking back at the Senior Bowl, here's just several article titles I saw talking specifically about Sam Howell. Quote, I left the Senior Bowl more confused about Sam Howell. (laughs) Okay. Quote, North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell stood out at 2022 Senior Bowl. Well, stood out can mean a lot of things. Stood out for good reasons or bad. I'm assuming this means good, but, you know, that's confusing. Quote, Sam Howell impresses during Senior Bowl week. Well, that's good news. But again, people are all over the map. This one article says they're more confused about Sam Howell. This other one says they're impressed by him. But the encouraging news is that by all accounts, Howell had a phenomenal first day at the Senior Bowl and manufactured a great touchdown drive during the actual game on Saturday. So what does all this mean for Sam Howell's draft prospects? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to figure out. Well, unfortunately, it's hard to tell because, again, the consensus is that there's no consensus. There is no surefire top of the draft class got to have him quarterback this year. Remember, I said that just a minute ago. None of these guys are that it guy that you have to have. So because of that, scouts and teams all have their varying opinions about each of these quarterbacks, including Sam Howell. So ultimately, here's what I believe it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to a team that wants Sam Howell. It's not necessarily a team that just wants a quarterback and, oh, Sam Howell's available, let's go get him, but a team that wants his specific skill set that he brings to the table. That's what an NFL team, I think, is going to go out and do is say, man, we loved him at Carolina, we love his character, we love what he brings, that footwork, we can work on it, we can get that, but he believes in his guys, he's a gamer, he wins, he does what he needs to do. So when, when will that happen for him? Well, it could very well happen still in round one on Thursday night of the NFL draft, and, and that's a, prob- a, a probable and likely scenario. But I don't foresee any scenario in which he falls beyond Friday to rounds four through seven on Saturday. So I, I'm, I would bet, if I was betting on this, I would say Sam Howell goes on Thursday night in round one, but there's no way, I, I'm staking it right now, no way he falls past round two or three 
on Friday? Well, we'll all find out together the answer to that when the 2022 NFL Draft kicks off on Thursday night, April 28th from Sin City, Las Vegas. That's where they're going this year. (laughs) Well, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Please, please, please do me a solid. Go subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that button that lets you know when the podcasts are dropping into your feed so you don't have to go look for it. It just says, ding, 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 I'm here. Listen to me. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels and follow me at Isaac Shade. And if you like what you're hearing, please, please, please tell a friend. Coming up tomorrow, it's, uh, we're going to talk some about the 2022 ACC football schedule and what Carolina will be looking at in the fall. That released last week, and so we're going to take a look at that, try to unpack it a little bit, and have a little bit of a uh, Dawson Garcia update for us directly from Coach Davis. We're going to talk about that. Thank you so much for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen every single day. Now let me encourage you to make Locked on Bets your second listen. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Until tomorrow, peace!